have your Bibles and want to turn to Mark, I, I've got this Savior, and I can't wait to share with you this morning. I think the Gospel of Mark is making us look at Jesus, and I hope he washes over you and washes into you. We have that amazing, wonderful Savior, and sometimes I think it's hard to make him come alive from the pages of words in a book. But, but I hope you've been seeing so far, we're at the beginning of Mark, we'll start Mark chapter 2 today, and that this massive, we left, left off last week with the end of chapter 1, Jesus experiencing this massive crush of popularity. And no wonder, he's healing people. I mean, imagine walking around Bellingham and seeing somebody who had a withered hand, like, hey, your hand looks normal, what happened? Well, this guy touched it. Whoa, where is he? I want to go look and see. And, and so many people, Jesus didn't heal a few people. He healed hundreds, maybe even our text implies thousands of people all around. Man, I want to go see this Jesus. And so people were coming in to hear him speak, to see him heal. No one ever seen anything like it. And honestly, you and I were pretty far from the phenomenon that was Jesus. 2,000 years plus, right? Ish. We read this account. We're going to read it this morning. You're going to read it with me. But you might reduce it to propositions, to truth to be agreed with, uh, agreement with certain theological beliefs. Those are not unimportant. But we, we believe in Jesus. We believe he's the son of God. We believe he died and he rose again. We believe he is our savior. We believe all of that. But then sometimes we struggle with what it means. Because we can start to get a little confused that Jesus' purpose. What is Jesus' purpose? What is it that Jesus said is my purpose? I start to think, I do, I start to think, well, it's to use me now for him. It's to maximize my impact on my world. This is Jesus' purpose, to use the cross to improve me. Jesus came to make a way for us to give glory to God. Jesus came to cure me and make me better. But but here's my challenge for you and I today from the text to see. Jesus came. To forgive your sin. Full stop. What does that mean to you? You dying sinner, even this morning, Jesus calls you. He speaks forgiveness to you. A full and free relationship with him that requires nothing else than your receiving. Healing. Improvements. They may come. Praise God when they do. But his purpose is for you to have forgiveness of sins. That's what he does. If you hear his voice right now in all the ways you are not who you should be, not what you should be, that you might receive Jesus Christ who forgives you today. This message from Mark is relentless. That's why we're calling this whole study that we go through Mark relentless. But we're going to see particularly today in this early part, this is only chapter 2 of Mark, And he's already presenting Jesus this strongly. He doesn't care so much about the genealogies, about the depth of different things. He wants you to see Jesus. 
So let's look today together. First, I want you to see forgiveness of sin. He here refers to Jesus. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, the text says, it was reported that Jesus was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So so we start out with this packed house, right? Literally, and in fact, in the Greek, it's a double negative, which just increases the strength. There wasn't any room, not even at the door. It's not like saying, well, there's a few people at the door so people couldn't get in. The idea is all surrounding the house, there's so many people that no one can even get close to Jesus. They're that packed in to see this amazing miracle worker. To hear what he has to say, that, that we know, we see speaking these words, it says he's preaching the word. That's oftentimes used, just, it's just logos, it's just the word, to make this simple statement that Jesus is speaking the gospel to them. The connection of how he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and looking forward to he's the healer of their disease the forgiver of their sin. Woven in together. And it says, and they came, verse 3, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, you've probably maybe heard this story before, but it's a little remarkable. It says, okay, so these four Men with this paralytic, paralytic is a paralyzed man, and they want to see Jesus, but they can't get in. And you can check me, you scholars. I heard earlier today that the King James is very up to date because it says, and they couldn't get in to see Jesus because of the press. <laughs> Watch out for the media. No, no, no. They didn't. They don't mean the press, the media. It means the press of the crowds. There's so many people there that you just can't get in to see Jesus. And so these enterprising people, these four men, thought, well, we want this paralytic to see Jesus. A paralytic is someone who's paralyzed, like with cerebral palsy or something like that, has a palsy. They can't move. So he's going to take them up, and they're going to get him in through the roof, they think. And it says there they removed the roof above him, right? So it sounds like, oh, they did something. Boy, I wouldn't want to be that homeowner. <laughs> But they would have a roof, and it would have have a wooden roof with packed-in dirt or branches over it. And so they're digging. And so I just want you to see the scene. There's all these people packed in, and Jesus is teaching them. He's, like, focused in on them. And all of a sudden, there's dirt falling on him from the ceiling, the Son of God, while he's in the middle of healing people and touching people and teaching people. What would you do? Stop that up there. You're sprinkling down dirt on me. It's not what he does, huh? But they open up this way for them to let down the bed, the pallet, the little mat, on which this man who couldn't move was laying. Very important statement next. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. This is a central statement to this whole story. If you take a look at the passage, it's kind of called a chiasm where it kind of comes in in the middle. And and, and this is the central statement, which means it's the important statement. Right at the center here, verse 5, 3. 
but but I look at it, and if, if you look at it closely, I mean, look at it again with me. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I immediately say, wait a minute, I, I faith? What kind of faith do they have? And, and then I notice that it says their faith. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus is saying that he's forgiving the sins of the paralytic because of the faith of the other guys? And, and then, really, forgiveness. I mean, the guy's not asking for forgiveness. It's like someone says, hey, hey, can I have a drink of water? It's like, no, here's a sandwich. No, no, I asked for a drink of water. He doesn't ask for it. And, and then these questions are bound up together in what's going on in the story. Start with faith with me. The word that Mark uses for faith, there's only four other times in Mark's gospel. It's the standard word, but he doesn't use it very often. If you're a Bible student at home, a student at home you want to look it up, it's Mark 440, Mark 534, Mark 1052, Mark 1122. In every one of those cases, it's about someone taking action to get to Jesus it's not some assent to some, oh, well, I'm believing the right statements about Jesus. It's about how people were saying, I got to get to him. Actions taken to receive Jesus' help, not as the word is often used in modern English to mean agreement with certain theological beliefs. It really does mean trust, trust in a person, hope in a person. And, and honestly, that's what these friends have. Hey, your faith has, has, has made this happen to some degree. You got him to be, and I'm the one who matters. That's the thought, right? That's what's happened. These four friends have gotten this paralytic man into the presence of Jesus. It's not like they have great amounts of theological depth. I mean, if they really trusted, if they really trusted, they would know they wouldn't have to go in, right? Jesus can heal from a distance. If Jesus can notice him, good things will happen. <laughs> you know what? This speaks to me because I don't even know what I need. I don't know what you need. I know you need to get to Jesus. They did. And Jesus, what he does is he forgives his sins. Jesus knows what he needs, and that's it. In fact, this is the critical statement, right? The center of the story. Jesus forgives sins without the man's mighty repentance or huge faith. I think it doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, your faith has made you well. Because, because, the emphasis is on Jesus Christ forgives sin. Not on how awesome and amazing your faith is. And certainly not improve your life, change your circumstances, make you give greater glory to God. He's here to forgive your sin. Really amazing. Okay, objection. Yeah, even right here in Mark, right away. It's only second chapter. We're already seeing the, 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 the objections form on Jesus and his mission to forgive your sin. Right? Here in the second chapter, this introducing the opposition, the opposition are students of the Bible. The opposition are those who want to lean on the law and are against just coming to Jesus and receiving from him. 
Here they are. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Scribes, those are like, like, like learned people. Those are people who knew the scriptures and the law. And they're in their hearts going, Blasphemy. Blasphemy doesn't mean, you know, speaking ill of God, but assuming a privilege, in this case, forgiving sins, that's limited to God alone. The way they say it makes it sound a little bit like Deuteronomy 6, 4. I don't know if you know that, where it says, the Lord is one You start off the Ten Commandments, behold, all Israel, the Lord is one. He's the unique one. What is this guy saying? Only God forgives sin. And that's in a couple places in the Old Testament. Here's one of them. The Lord passed before him, um, uh, speaking of Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. And sin. I'm the one, says Yahweh of old, who forgives sin. Even maybe more clear in Isaiah 43, 25, there's this, I, I am he, God says, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. If, if, you, if you look at that construction, you see that in, in Greek it would be, it's Hebrew here, but they have Greek translations and they go like this, ego eimi. I, I am the one who forgives sin. God does. Who are you to say you're God? It's so important what Mark does here. Who are you to say that you're God? They said to Jesus, and they're thinking in their heart. Note, they don't say it. They think it in their heart. And so here's what Mark does in verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? (laughs) It's so fun. Immediately is Mark's favorite word, right? Immediately, boom. Jesus looks over. Man, how could Jesus be saying these things like he's God or something? And then Jesus looks, and what does he know? What they're thinking. Who does that? Oh, God. I never look at you and know what you're thinking in your heart. I don't even know what my wife's thinking, and I've been around her for 50 years. Seems like. (laughs) Oh, may there be 50 more. Nice recovery, she says. I don't know her like that, though. I can't know the depth of what she's thinking. And Jesus looks at these people that he doesn't know personally, and he can tell what they're thinking in their heart. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. God does that. He looks at the heart, and he knows, and he says right there, immediately Mark's presenting Jesus, right? implies Jesus looks into their hearts. They didn't say a thing. They're thinking it. And Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. He is the Son of God. And so he says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? What do you think? I kind of could go either way. That's kind of a hard question. 
what do you think is harder? I mean, on the one hand, I, I, I think, well, oh, healing is healing's easier than forgiving sin. Only God forgives sin. That's, I mean, come on, heal, forgiving sin's a big deal. But on the other hand, any person that I know can say, I forgive your sin. Right? I mean, you come up to me and say, hey, Dax, you have to, I forgive your sin, child. Well, I said the words. Did, did, did God forgive your sin when I said that? Because to heal someone, it's like the proof. I can see it. If, if, if you have a lame foot and all of a sudden I, someone touches you and then your foot's healed, it's like, wow, that's hard to do. I can say medically, honestly, a paralyzed person that can't walk and they have a neurologic problem from birth, cerebral palsy or something like that, they're not getting healed. I don't care what neurosurgeon you see. If they got healed, big deal. Right? And so it's really interesting. What does Jesus do? He puts them together. He puts them together. The thing only God can do, but you cannot see, which is forgive your sin. And the thing you can see, and it's so amazing that when you see it, you're like, whoa, miracle. And hundreds, if not thousands of people are coming to see Jesus because he's doing that. And he says, yeah. Yeah. I forgive sins. Which is harder. But... That you may know, see the purpose for my healing, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. There's an out-of-order emphasis in the text, if you're a student, to look and see that the, um, but that you may know, comes up first. This is why I'm doing this. I'm telling you that the purpose that I'm here is to forgive sins, but so that you would believe it, because that can be only words to you. You might not actually believe me. Let me do something that is radical, but really not as hard. Go ahead, son. Get up and walk. This is going to be the purpose, is forgiveness of sin. Will you come to Jesus for this, anyone who comes? And just to show you, Jesus says, here, I'll heal. But the healings, hundreds of healings, thousands of healings, the most healings we've ever seen when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, finally came to earth, is to show you that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Not just God in heaven. Jesus on earth. I believe when he says on earth, he means everybody. He's not just saying to the Jews. He's meaning to the earth. He alone. Let's see what happened to the paralytic. There he goes. And he rose and immediately, of course, boom, picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed, mind blown, and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Yeah, these things just don't happen. But Jesus made them happen. And he says, I got something deeper. I have something more. By the way, I think it's important that you see, they didn't just glorify Jesus, right? Jesus wasn't on a glory hound quest. They glorified God because they saw what Jesus did and they glorified God in heaven. They, they saw the healing. They heard the forgiveness of sin. If he can do the one, what about the other? And so, oh. the depth of your faith like the guy didn't even have any in the text 
the depth of your theology. It is trusting the action of seeking the help of Jesus. I'll tell you, if I saw it, as as a doctor with years of experience in medicine, if I saw a person who'd been paralyzed since birth and couldn't walk and was in a chair and I knew it and I'd done the studies and I'd seen how he's never going to walk ever again and it's just not going to happen and he, and, and, he's, and he's, he gets up and walks, I'd be like leaping up and saying, what in the world? I, I want to know more about who did this. I want to talk about a bit about what that means in a minute, but we should be influenced by one more paragraph because, because that's the end of this little scene, and Mark does these little scenes, but the next scene is so tied to it, we've got to consider it too. And it's about salvation for sinners. Sinners. Let's look. In verse 13. So Jesus went out again, Mark writes, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Man, I'd love to hear what he's teaching. We don't get to hear everything Jesus said. And as he passed by, the text says, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. But it's very particularly placed by Mark. If you saw back in chapter 1, as we went off with 100 miles an hour, as Mark started, he right away called his disciples to him. That's Peter and John and James and those guys, right? They were fishermen, and Jesus went and called him. So what is he doing now? Again, calling Levi. And I would submit to you, what did we just hear? We just heard about forgiveness of sin. And we're going to hear something else. Who's Levi? is coming for you might say well peter was a pretty good guy and you know john was man he was a lover of people already and i'll tell you that james guy he was after it all but what about levi levi's identified right here we know him as matthew he wrote the gospel of matthew we think who is he tax collector i know it may not mean much to you as jesus walks by and he sees this man at the tax booth the man at the tax booth would be extorting money from Jews that they could otherwise use through the temple to help God to do things. Instead, he was pocketing it for himself and giving it to the Romans, the pagans. He was a turncoat. He was somebody that you wouldn't want to be around. He was somebody that was not a good person. He was somebody that was sitting there, sinner, identified sinner and traitor for money to the people of God. And he's sitting there, Jesus comes by and says, hey, come. you doing who did jesus come for what did he come to do he came to forgive sins who needs their sins forgiven that guy here comes jesus i this is amazing again not his great faith not heartfelt tears rather his eyes open to jesus boom and Jesus used him because Jesus has the authority to what? To forgive sins. Because there he was. He's reclined at table in verse 15. At his house, it says, and there were many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. <laughs> now Jesus is in the whole room full of sinners. And they're reclining. That's not like, and they were studying. <laughs> 
the Old Testament scriptures. No. Reclining at table means they were hanging out. It's like they're saying they were having a drink. It's like they're saying, hey, we're, we're sharing food together and just around the table and we're talking and we're being together with other people. And they're tax collectors and sinners. That's who they are, right? Many people of ill repute hanging with Jesus. There's the one who swindles people out of their money. There's the prostitute who sells her body for money. There's the gal who's been married five times and shacked up with someone else. There's the guy who never sets foot in a synagogue ever. Can't get that person in church. There's the murderer, the adulterer, the homosexual, the one who took all his parents' money and ran. There's the liar and the swindler and the extorter. There's the turncoat. There's the traitor. And they're all gathered around Jesus. Jesus, you're making a mistake. That's what the, it gets uncomfortable fast. It really does. Doesn't he know? They aren't turning over a new leaf. They're just hanging out and shooting the breeze doesn't sit well with the opposition group or with the opposition group in my heart. I don't know that it would sit well with us as we normally think, but I'm talking about our students of the Bible. I'm talking about the ones who want to lean on the law and they're against just coming to Jesus and receiving forgiveness. The ones who see themselves as closer to God now because they've received this word from God talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. In verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In this case, in this case, that sounds like an honest question. It's kind of like, oh, well, why does he do it? No, 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 no. <laughs> the why does he do it is, is, means, is he a total fool? That's the thought, right? He's, he's connected, saying he's connected to God, but now he's doing that? Blasphemy, stupidity, and wrecking any credibility he will ever have. I don't know a lot of time, but let me give you just a one-minute illustration of how this starts to get me. Because one time when I was in Africa and had been over there to teach, and Danny and I went, and, and we'd been several times, but... But they have a certain cultural norms. And so one gal in the city got interested in hearing about Christianity and wanted to come to the pastor's conference that we were going. So we took her. But it was a pastor's conference in the culture I was in, which is all men. It was all men. And I had this gal sitting on the side listening. Everybody's kind of looking at her. Because the women are supposed to have their own meeting cooking the meal or whatever they're doing, they weren't supposed to be in listening to the message. I don't know if it was right or not. It wasn't very culturally sensitive that we did it. But I started to feel that, oh, I think I'm losing my witness. I think people are like thinking, wow, maybe he's bringing her because he likes her. Maybe he's bringing her because something else is going on. And what, what is Jesus doing there? Maybe he's hanging out with sinners because he is one. 
Maybe there's something untoward. So you start having that. That's the closest I can get at connecting to this sort of thing is that we start to feel it ourselves when we violate cultural norms and, 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 and have the right thought or have the right idea to help people. But, but, but people say, well, you're not doing it the right way. Therefore, ooh, and we start to feel peer pressure. They're trying to do that to Jesus. Why? Why? He needs to stop doing that if he wants to have any real ministry. He said to them, and by the way, I'm not trying to connect myself to Jesus that way. I'm, I, I maybe shouldn't have done it. I'm, I'm trying to stick to the feeling, the peer pressure. Jesus is perfect. He knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is injury we can understand, right? Jesus speaks directly to his own purpose. In fact, this is so closely connected to the purpose we've already seen. He forgives sin. That's his purpose. Why did he come? For sinners. I'm the physician, he says. I've come to get the sick and heal them, which means I've come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Not the healthy, but the sick. That's who need me. And that encapsulates the ministry of Jesus. He comes to call the sinners because they're dying, because they're diseased, because they need help that only he can give, because they have no hope in earthly physicians, because what they need is what? Forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus provides, what his relentless purpose is, is forgiveness of sin. You hear his call. Hey, this is the message today. And to, just to recap, you know, faith is, is trust in a person. That means getting yourself to Jesus, not cleaning up, not improving, not now following some code, but literally getting your friends to drop you from the ceiling if need be. That kind of urgency. If you get to see Jesus, you're okay. No, because this was an image. This was that this is Jesus teaching by even his actions. We know that Jesus says with his mouth to you today, come any who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He promises if you come to him, he will forgive you. He's that amazing of a savior. The call is to you. The cure is Jesus. Jesus calls sinners. That's the ones who are lost and wrong and lowly, not proud of their learning or status or works. And the call is to hear his purpose. He doesn't point to moral improvement for you. He doesn't point necessarily to circumstantial improvement for you. He points to forgiveness. That means trust that he does what he says. And what he says he does is forgive sins, not to make you better on earth, but to forgive you into relationship with God. And, and, and to me, the difficulty with this and, and why this needs to be hammered is because here's the rub. We don't think we're the sinners. I maybe think I was the sinner once upon a time, back in the day when I gave my heart to Jesus. But I think I'm not the sinner anymore. We're better now. We've become the scribes and Pharisees. 
not in terms of extra biblical rules like they did, they went too far in those ways, but really also in terms of being more concerned with our own improvement, our own glory to God, testing of doctrine, than trusting Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, I want to put it on the board, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. That's the purpose right there. But then he adds, of whom I once upon a time, long time ago, no, I am the foremost. This is the end of Paul's life. This is First Timothy. It's one of his later letters. He's writing a later letter saying, I am right now. I didn't somehow get better. I am the chief of sinners. So how do you do when sinners hang out with you? Do sinners make you uncomfortable? Or are you really one of them? So that's the one thing. And the other thing is we forget who we're trusting. We start to trust in ourselves with some help of the Holy Spirit or God or Jesus. We introduce our own effort back into the game. Instead of trusting in Jesus, we start navel-gating ourselves. Really what that is, going back to this thing called the law. Which these guys, these scribes and Pharisees were experts in. Now that we've heard Jesus, we're seeing we're no longer the ones who are sinners. We twist the Bible to aim it at ourselves. Are we progressing in our law-keeping? And that becomes what I pull people into. But what does that exclude? It excludes the sinners. And honestly, it starts to say the sinners are over there, and I'm over here. The only group that's over here are the Pharisees. They're rejecting the forgiveness of Jesus. Hear this today, dear people. Never forget, we are the dying. If you live long enough in this room and Jesus doesn't return, you will die. Why will you die? Because of your sin. We have a hope, you and I. It's in the forgiveness of sin and the promise of resurrection life by who? Jesus. I know this Savior. I offer to him full and free all that he is offered for you. Why? Because he came to forgive that sin that constantly plagues you, that you and I might confidently say today, because of the promise of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation because of what Jesus has done. Even if you walked around with me yesterday, you'd find plenty of ways you could condemn me. That's the message today. No matter what your circumstance, your issue is, you are forgiven. If you hear Jesus, the answer is yes. Trusting him is trusting that word given through the ages that he has done it forever for you. His purpose is clear here in Mark. He came to call sinners. His purpose is forgiveness of sin. He cleanses you and me by his work, by his action. The physician raises the dead. 